Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour podcast and your host today is Carla Reffold. Today we are joined by Michael Faber. Michael has been in business continuity, crisis management and operational risk since the early 90s. He has worked in financial services his entire career working at organisations like Norwich Union, JP Morgan, Schroders and TPI Cap. He's the past chairman of BSI and the former vice chairman of the European Institute of Governance Awards and the Institute of Operational Risk. Hope you enjoy it. Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. I'm very excited to talk to you. We've known each other for a very long time. And uh, I'm not sure there are many people that have more experience in business continuity and more knowledge on all the different risks that company face than you do. So I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to uh, share some of my ideas today. Well, let's start by introducing everybody else to, to you a little bit. So tell us a bit about you know, where you grew up, where you were educated, that sort of thing. So I started off um, um, in, a, in Hertfordshire, based in Hertfordshire, just outside of London, um, and uh, went to um, uh, partly a private school and then a grammar school. Um, and um, actually, I, I say in those days, but um, um, it wasn't as, as common, I suppose, as today to go to university. And I um, was very keen to get out into to business. And so I actually left school at 15. Um, I took my um, O-levels, um, but given my birthday was in July, I actually left left school in June and started in, in Barclays in retail banking um, at, at the age of 15. And a lot of my experience and the way, the way I've learnt um, and, and sort of grown and developed has been more through real life experiences and learning from other people um, rather than um, learning from books. Well, I think that's really, uh, really helpful for people at the moment who, you know, might consider whether or not university is the right path for them, given, especially in England, how expensive it now is. Yeah, I, I can understand that it's a, uh, it's going to be a very difficult decision. And with the you know, as, as we all have to deal with, um, the uncertainty is, um, you know, what, what are going to be the experiences? Um, are, are, are we going to suffer by virtue of a different type of learning? I think we are all adapting to this new world um, at quite a pace because we have been forced to, which is good in some regards because we're taking on certain things that... Uh, maybe would have benefited us, um, both in terms of um, the day-to-day -day business and in terms of the way in which we can manage crisis events. So it's actually 
helped and, and expedited some of the um, some of the work that may well have taken many years to for organisations to embrace. So you could say that's that's um, that's a positive, um, but we are still learning and adapting to that world, and that th there will still never be um, uh, a better way of communicating than communicating in person. So that's not to say that we can't use other methods. We are using other methods, and they're working very well. But it's still not just quite as well or, or quite as um, effective um, as as a face-to-face as -face conversation. I think that's a really good point. Everyone might be working and functioning, but I, you know, I haven't spoken to anybody that feels entirely comfortable and is really enjoying the situation that we're currently in. Um, can you see businesses sort of going fully remote? Do you think that's likely or do you, do you think we'll actually get back to how we used to be far quicker and than, than everybody might be assuming at the moment? Well, I, I, as as other people have said, um, there's going to be a new business as usual. Um, we we cannot I, I cannot imagine where everything will go back to exactly the way it was before. Um, so I think there will be um, certain compromises in areas, and it depends on uh, it depends on the organisation, it depends on the industry you're in, and it depends on those people that are in leadership. Um, and the experiences that are faced. And, and, and as we know, one of the things that, that, that organisations have been concerned or reticent about is whether people will um, work as, as well or, or work as long or work as hard if they're not um, under the scrutiny or under the, the sort of the eye of, of a manager in an office. Um, and as with anything, it's down to the individual as much as anything else. And I have always felt, and the way in which I've managed staff, is um, to look at, um, based on trust, and based, based on outcome. Um, so I would much rather somebody left earlier, was more flexible, worked from home, um, rather than physically sitting in an office but not delivering. So I think, you know, as, as long as we're um, output focused and we're based and, and we look at our teams and our staff and individuals based on what they achieve rather than how many physical hours they sit at a desk in an office, I think that is a, a, um, a better approach to take. But all, all, all organisations and, and different parts of the world will need to work differently dependent on the pressures, the priorities and the, and, and, and the type of work that they need to do. Now, I think you've touched on something really important there, you know, that where in the world, obviously, you've, you've managed global business continuity programs before and, um, you know, different parts of the world experience different challenges. Did you ever have continuity plans that were focused on a situation like this where the whole world is affected? Yeah, I mean, uh, probably what, around 15 years ago um, was when I first developed um, pandemic-based plans, um, and that was um, some some early events. So, so pre-SARS, um, looking at this risk, and I have, I say, studied it. I found it of interest um, ever since. 
one of the things in the early days that I used it for was um, in terms of um, changing some of the scenario exercises, not just in terms of of having a scenario exercise that's different, but also pushing out, ironically pushing out the people element. So when I, I was running events in the past, um, trying to get um, departments and, and, and organizations to agree to maybe having one alternate individual to do a key role was as far as you could go. And, and when I started working on pandemic planning, it was an opportunity, if I could put it that way, to to look at pushing that further to say, right, OK, if two or three people were were out within a particular function or a key element, how would that affect you? And with most scenarios, that didn't work because people would say, well, only one person is going to be out. When you start looking at or when I started looking at pandemics, it provided that opportunity to say, well, actually, it could be a whole department or three or four or five people within that department. So that was that that was one thing that actually helped with 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 some of the planning was to use that scenario. Another one was, as you say, is to look at it from a global perspective. And and interestingly enough, and I know that you've done a, a lot of work on information security, that, you know, I've thought for some time that a commonality between the two risks is the word virus. So what we're looking at is a virus um, and and the implications of a virus, whether that be a, a virtual computer-based virus or whether that be the virus that we're having to deal with today, um, one of the key things is that it is likely to be of a global nature. So in this case, it's a global nature affecting people as opposed to a global nature affecting your whole network. So um, in terms of actually generating plans, business continuity plans, um, over the years, we've moved away generally from creating plans for every scenario we could think of. That's how we started in the industry, or that's that's my sort of um, uh, view of how things were in the sort of early days in the sort of 1980s when when uh, or the late mid 1980s when business continuity or disaster recovery, as it was called, was starting out. And um, uh, so so what's happened is that that things have changed. So we move away from a particular event and actually try and make sure that an organization is 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 resilient and capable of managing any type of event. However, um, given the nature of of um, both a pandemic event and, and, a, and a cyber attack, it is more appropriate if you're going to have any very specific scenario plans to have if you want plans about those two types of scenarios, the two types of viruses, if you want the, 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 the virtual and the physical, if I can put it that way. Oh, I think that's a really good point. And how, how closely do you feel business continuity teams have worked with cyber teams in recent years? Do you think we've done enough? Do we ever do enough? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, it's better. It's better. What, what, again, 
something else which I know I've spoken about many times is is um, uh, silo mentality, and, and you know, and I'm not saying that specifically about business continuity versus you know information security versus um, uh, operational risk or, or or any or or compliance or whatever, but there is there is a natural um, I'm afraid sort of action or reaction within businesses, within organizations, within individuals, which is to sort of protect one one's own subject or domain or environment. Um, I have tried wherever possible to to look at commonality, to look at sharing um, and to work together. And I think it is improving. Uh, it is definitely improving, certainly in the in the the experiences that I've had over the last six to ten years. Um, but but it's still a way to go. Um, one of the ways I think a soft way to be able to share without feeling that you know you're 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 taking over my world or you're taking over my work or my my specialism is to use common applications to store things. So whether it be um, you know operational risk having all their risks in one place, which is also the place where you store. Your business continuity plans, and where 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 you store work relating to cybersecurity, um, physical security, etc. And I think having a, a almost a common database, a common platform in which you 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 use, you store information, and you share information, is a, is a softer way of bringing together those, those those silos. So I think you know that that's something I found helps. The other thing. Again, going back to something I was talking before about, which was being in the same locality. So where I've I've worked in operational risk, and I've sat next to somebody in compliance, and I've sat next to somebody in in internal audit. That helps to break down barriers to share information, and you're just talking in the office about something, and you can maybe sort of listen into what somebody's saying. And, and add some value and say, oh, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about that particular cyber event at the moment because I've just done a business impact analysis here and I've identified, you know, that there's a risk associated with, you know, whatever it happens to be. So I think I think we are better at it, um, but certainly in terms of, of using shared tools and where where we are in the office actually working in a in a closer um, proximity to each other so that we can listen and maybe share things um, is actually a way of breaking down some of those barriers. I think they're really, really good tips. It's, um, I've certainly felt talking to business continuity professionals that they understand cyber as being a business continuity issue. I really get the same feeling the other way around that you know cyber professionals see um, the risks that they face, you know, maybe if they're asked, they understand, you know, it's about business continuity, but they really talk about then going back and working with people in, in risk or continuity. Um, do, do you feel it's one way? Um, it's better. It's better. And I think um, another way of bringing those two areas together is where you start talking about how you manage a given incident because the the cyber team or information security team cannot work in silo in terms of managing an event 
Um, the event obviously needs to have the knowledge of and and input from um, the the senior decision makers within the organisation. A, then they need to understand what's going on. They may need to provide funds in terms of uh, uh, managing the recovery and 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 such like, and and often they will need to um, do something which is very uncomfortable, which is to to um, stand in front of the press, and unless we can ensure and from a from a from a cyber and information security perspective, there needs to be an assurance um, uh, that the senior management the the CEO that the chair have enough awareness and knowledge to be able to stand up and present on whatever event has occurred that may be cyber related and and that is an issue and that remains an issue so um, bridging the gap bridging the gap of of knowledge bridging the gap of language between the 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 technology and the technical know-how uh, within the within the cyber teams um, in a language that can be understood not just to a point at which the board and and the senior management will agree to spend money to reduce and to mitigate and to manage those risks but also so that information security are as comfortable as they can be that in a scenario where the ceo has to stand up and say we're in the middle of this event and we've lost some data um or or, or um you know we we have no access to our systems due to 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 a cyber attack that they can present the face of the organization in an appropriate way uh, in a correct way and in a way in which they can maintain the um, confidence of the audience being the press, being um, the client, the customer, being any kind of stakeholder um, in, in um, the organization that it is doing the right things, that it has had the right processes in place that nobody can be a hundred percent foolproof if you want or, or protective of 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 the the, the cyber world and um, and and unless uh, that comes across in the right way potentially um, the the organization will either not survive or not ever recover to the same level it was beforehand. Now, when it comes to budgets, we've seen security teams get, you know, large budgets, big increases year on year for the last few years. Has that come at the expense of budgets that have gone to business continuity planning? Um, how do I answer that? Um, <laughs> Trying to be politically correct. Don't as be well, politically correct. No well. one wants yeah. that. <laughs> um, cer certainly, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying at the cost of, but certainly there has been, rightly so, an increased focus on cybersecurity and associated budgets. 
and the budgets have been and can be spent both in terms of systems and services and in terms of workforce as well. However, my experience is on the business continuity side, it's not an, an, an operational resilience as, as a, people talk about a, in a similar way. Um, it, it certainly hasn't increased um, in, in a way in which it has within the cyber world. And, and that's, you know, that, that can be disappointing. Um, obviously, cyber has been, um, over the last few years, very high profile. And, and what we need to ensure is that we have a balanced view. We have a balanced view, whether that be cyber, whether that be pandemics as we're in today, um, or any other um, potential risks that we face within the organization. And obviously from a business continuity perspective, what's being looked at is, is across the whole domain, across the whole um, area of risk um, and, and treating those all um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a similar fashion. Um, so of course I would like to see, I would always like to see more um, uh, emphasis placed on the importance of business continuity and, and whether the events that we're experiencing at the moment will help with that um, or, or not, I can't say. You know, the, you, the future will tell. Um, I will continue to, to do my work. And I think, I think one of the important things and what we need to ensure for anybody in this world of um, risk and resilience is wherever possible to turn um, what is a, a very or can be a very negative subject. The, you know, the four letter word risk will always um, put into people's minds the negative, we need to reduce losses. Whereas um, when I was working on, on uh, British uh, standards in, in, in risk management, 31100 that became 31000, um, ISO 31000, um, we spoke a lot about risk um, having two elements to it and risk was threat and opportunity. And the more we as individuals can turn the negative thought of the word risk into positives to the organization, we will be more successful in obtaining the focus, obtaining the resource um, that is required to, to better manage that organization. So how can we, through doing our work, obtain day-to-day -day benefits? Because if you're just putting money into something that may never happen, it's a difficult, if it, it's a dif difficult ask, particularly for, for the heads of organizations that are looking at um, uh, keeping costs down. However, if we can say, first of all, if you do this, you'll get day-to-day -day benefits in the way in which you work. And obviously some of the day-to-day -day benefits um, that, that we have got today because we've been forced into it with the, with, with the pandemic, we will be able to leverage in the future by virtue of um, the, the uh, sort of virtual world, the, the video conferencing capability, the working from home that we, that we are now doing 
and we have proved to be successful. Um, and if we say, right, OK, you'll get day to day benefits. And by the way, you'll get business continuity thrown in for free. And if you look at can we actually increase revenue through our, our business continuity planning and our, and, our, and our resilience planning? Well, yes, we can. If we can demonstrate to our um, uh, customers and our um, clients that we have their best interests at heart, that we are here to service them. And, and some of the changes with the um, UK regulators that they're looking to put into play in um, 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 new regulation relating to operat operational resilience is very much ensuring that we as organizations can demonstrate that the first thing we look at is our key client services and the harm that it would cause to our clients and our customers if we can't perform a given function. And so by virtue of that, if we can demonstrate our ability to keep servicing our clients and customers, then we potentially A, will retain business and B, will obtain new business. So actually you can turn the work that seems quite negative into a positive, almost if you want, into a revenue generator. And by virtue of doing that, you will certainly then um, ensure and, and maintain the focus of, of those with the purse strings in terms of the critical work that you need to do. I think that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, when we talk about that in, in security, people haven't quite got there yet. You know, the idea that maybe cyber could generate revenue or, um, you know, have additional business benefits other than just keeping a company secure. Um, so I think actually that business continuity could do that and can demonstrate that is a, is a really, really sort of forward thinking approach. I mean, if I if I just sort of add to that, and again, in in my sort of very early days in 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 technology, it used to be called data processing in those days, and um, one of the things I found was where people would take, um, in you know, in in the early days of 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 computing or computerization, taking um, um, something that is manual and and making it automatic or making it uh, computerized. And, and what a number of people would do, which is wrong, is to just say, we'll take a, um, a process. It doesn't matter whether it's inefficient or not, and we'll computerize it. However, what you then lose is the advantage of actually saying, well, let's look at this. Then let, let's look at why we're doing this. And is this the most effective way to do it, whether it's computerized or not? And if you can actually look at it and say, right, by virtue of the fact that we're, we're, we're actually taking a manual process and computerizing it, we've actually improved the process as well. So if we're working on business continuity, if we're working on cyber, whatever area we're working on, if we, if we broaden the, the view when we are viewing and analyzing and improving from a, uh, you know, the, 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 the area that we're taking, we're actually we're actually looking to provide more protection for data or whatever it is. Looking at, for example, how good is that data when we're actually looking at that data? And it may be that we can um, improve the quality of the data or improve the way in which we 
store that data or manage that data or whatever. So, so I think by broadening without doing project creep where, where, where you never actually achieve anything, but actually looking at it, not just from the narrow view, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, the narrow view of just for business continuity, just for cyber protection or whatever, but actually looking at it from a holistic and from a business perspective, we may identify areas in which we can provide an added value and, and, and benefit um, just simply by looking at the work in a slightly uh, wider way than, than we might do otherwise. Now, obviously at the moment, business continuity for a lot of people is kind of synonymous with a, a pandemic, but what other risks should companies be thinking about at the moment? You know, they're, they're certainly not secure just because everybody is still working from home. Well, the, 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 the other risks, the risks that we've been looking to manage identify, highlight um, every day over the years, pre-December, January, February, March this year, uh, are still there. Um, and, and, and one of the things, um, and I uh, sort of put out a little um, post on LinkedIn recently, was, was about, you know, starting in June, uh, we start the um, Atlantic hurricane um, season. So it's, it's certainly not going to be the case that by virtue of um, the global pandemic at the moment, that everything else will stop, that all the natural events that occur will stop. Um, so A, we need to make sure that we're continually looking at whether it be the... the the traditional, the fire floods, um, the, the terrorism as, as, as it's become, um, and all the other um, events that go, go along and making sure that we are watching them and we are preparing for them. But also maybe if we do have plans or, or, or scenarios that we've used in the past, um, are they... Are they going to be different in terms of the way in which they um, impact our organization by virtue of the fact that we need to overlay um, the current pandemic scenario um, over it as well. So it may be that we need to look at um, some of our existing plans and processes um, and, and, and check whether they need to be revised today, uh, tomorrow. Um, in terms of the the differences that we are currently experiencing in a lot of your career has been in banking um, and at the moment i would say very very little of the the attention is actually focused on sort of banking plans we've looked more at sectors which have been um you know more more harshly affected like retail and um and leisure so do you feel that the banks have recovered well, do you think that they actually had enough investment in this and will uh, will continue to do well, or do you think that you know they will start revising their plans and maybe thinking about increasing investment as they go forward? Again, you know, and I'll always say this: I, I, I hope that um, um, the the investment certainly isn't reduced. Um, I could always do, you know, probably everybody would say the same thing. I could always do with more resource. Um, so my hope 
um, is is that 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 certainly won't be reduced uh, and won't be reduced within the finance sector and and with the new um, regulations that have been pushed back um, by virtue of the, um, the the pandemic events by the regulators, but are still, I'm sure, going to come into play. And there will be more reasons, if you want, or, or, or um, by virtue of these experiences to make those things come into play. So um, I think the finance sector has been pretty good as an industry in terms of um, uh, business continuity. Certainly having, while, as you say, I've worked primarily in the finance sector, I have, I have worked um, and, and done some um, provided some consultancy and advice to other sectors and generally the the experience within the finance sector has been in advance of 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 a number of other sectors um, I've certainly seen that so so there's a lot of lessons that have been learnt within the finance sector um, that can be applied um, very easily to to other industries and sectors um, can we do more? Absolutely. Um, my experience as a as a client and customer um, has been very good. Um, you know, we've all, I think, you know, with most services, found that we have to wait probably a little bit longer, even than before, in terms of getting through on a call um, if if uh, if if we got a query or something like that. But then I found that, you know, I'll, I'll go on to a chat or, or some other way rather than wait on the phone or I'll start both at the same time. And, and more often than not, um, before the call's um, been answered, I've, I've managed to um, resolve any issue that I've, I've had with the chat. So, so as, a, as a sort of client and customer, I found the financial services to be very good and, and very little impact. Um, and from a sort of, you know, inside the finance sector looking out, um, I've been very pleased at the the way in which organisations have reacted. Um, obviously, I've done a lot of work on on the um, crisis management planning, the the gold, silver, bronze, and and uh, uh, one of the things I implemented was actually a, a platinum team as well. Um, because one of the areas that I felt was missing um, in in a number of organisations was the role of the non-exec um, within a crisis. And so the gold team typically will be the executives. So that would include people like the um, group CEO, the group COO. But the chairman and non-execs um, wouldn't clearly be part of that gold executive team. And there can be a, um, a disconnect or, or, or a lack of understanding as to as to how the gold team um, uh, relates to the non-execs and the chair, uh, if it's a non-exec chair. And, and again, moving back to, well, any type of event, but, but, but virus as much as any other um, cyber event is, is that there may be a situation where the, the, the chairman um, actually needs to um, stand up and present and or chairman and non-execs maybe will be talking to some of um, uh, the regulators at, at the top level in terms of how their organization is coping at the time. So 
um, I developed a um, an extra piece of metal, which was which was um, uh, the platinum team, which encompassed all the uh, non-exec directors, and that that I think um, um, actually worked well in the process. Brilliant. Now you you mentioned there about um, you know customer service, so. Um, often we we talk about plans in relation to how you know your staff are, are affected, um, with very little focus on the the customer. And I've seen a real difference between businesses that have treated their staff well um, and businesses that haven't. So, how much of that focus actually goes into a plan? You know, the balance between customers and staff. Um. I'm not sure whether I'm answering the same question here, but certainly um, on occasions when managing a crisis, there is a natural first focus of an organization to think about revenue. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that in a harsh way, but you can understand that, that um, you know, the business needs to and and you know if it has shareholders has a responsibility from that perspective and so there can be or has been an expectation well you know our staff will just do what what they need to do um things have changed and and are changing and, and what i will always look to do um from a staff point of view when when creating crisis plans is is number one on the priority list. And I know it's an obvious thing to say it, is staff safety. And, uh, you know, again, the, the events, the recent events have very much highlighted the need for us as organisations to ensure the safety of our staff. Now, that's, that's always been in play, but, but, you know, it's been heightened by virtue of these events. And um, so... I believe that we have and we are far better at thinking about the protection of our staff um, and and actually how we communicate with our staff in a crisis that again in some cases you know there might be a thought well okay we're, we're going to focus very much on our clients and customers which absolutely we need to and forgetting about communicating internally as well so the message externally is more informative than the message internally. So there needs to be a right balance between the, the protection of staff and protection of the business and communication internally to the staff and communication externally to the clients and customers. What, and I, and I apologies for moving back to um, new um, regulation, um, the uh, PRA, FCA and, and the Bank of England in the UK have been working on consultation papers associated with operational resilience since 2018, um, which was due to complete in April this year and has now moved to October by virtue of, again, the, the current situation. And what they are saying is um, that um, financial organizations need to be able to demonstrate how they are identifying those critical services that can cause harm to an individual and looking to protect those 
and and um, uh, they're talking about something called impact tolerances and and the maximum maximum tolerable disruption to and to an individual to a client to a customer in 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 terms of harm so that could be for example completing on a on a house purchase on a, on a friday and not um, receiving the funds to be able to do that that is an obvious um, causing harm to an individual and so um, while it has been done and is being done to date there will be a lot more emphasis and a need to demonstrate to the regulator that the organization is not just looking at revenue and and the sort of the internal view of things but the but the client and the customer view as well so as i say we just need to make sure that we can balance both the staff safety and the well-being side of things and the communication internally and understanding identifying and understanding what is what, what are the key and critical services we are providing, as any organization should do, looking at um, mapping end-to-end -end that process, whether it be the completion of a mortgage, if, if it were a, you know, a loan on a, on a property, from the point at which you, you um, get, the, get the contact from um, the customer saying, that I want to do this 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 transaction or this I want this service through to the completion of that, looking at um, the internal and external dependencies across the end to end and looking to to understand um, the risks to manage those risks to make sure that the maximum tolerable disruption is in line with the the impact tolerance that that we as a as a provider of a service in the finance sector is acceptable to a given individual i think that's a really exciting uh, you know update that customers will feel that they are you know that that impact to them is being taken more seriously and a really good point on communication as well you know if if you're not communicating well to your staff internally especially with uh, with social media you know the the messages coming out from your staff needs to be in line with what's coming out from your exec team yeah and and uh, on on that um you know what you've just raised again years ago um i would say um in in any planning to all staff within the organization um you know should a crisis event occur don't talk to the media so, you know, that needs to be focused, that needs to come through a corporate communications function, um, that, you know, the, 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 the messages need to be managed in the right way, etc. Now, when I when when years ago, I said, don't talk to the media, that meant that if somebody gave you, you know, somebody called you and said, I'm a member of the press, can you give me a story? Or you walked outside your 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 um, building and there was press standing outside there then then you don't talk to them or you say you know he's he's the person that's that's handling the media from our company's perspective what we have now with with the social media that we all use even i use um there there is a disconnect often between don't talk to the media and and don't use social media to say you know that that you know you, you 
just go on to to LinkedIn or Facebook or, or whatever medium and say, you know, all hell's let loose in my organization. You know, nobody, everybody's running around like headless chicken. Nobody knows what to do. Well, that is talking to the media. And uh, but but we do that in our everyday life now. So so actually, we need to look to make sure that everybody in the organization, when we talk about don't talk to the media, um, we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful on a on a on a day to day basis, um, because you know how we manage, because we are all representatives of our organisation, and we all have a far greater ability to communicate with the outside world through the through the mediums of today than we did ten twenty years ago. No, I think that's a very good point for companies to to take on board. Now, we end each podcast with 10 quick-fire questions, so I'm going to need the first answer that comes into your head. Do I, do I get marks out of 10 for this? <laughs> I can give you a mark out of 10 if you would like. <laughs> no, it's OK. Uh, so the first question is, what turns you on professionally? Um, I think having... Uh, what, what I talk about is 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 the way, the way I think I um, I am successful is I'm um, enthusiastic about what I believe in, but the important thing is to be infectious with that enthusiasm. So, if if you if you have infectious enthusiasm, you get other people excited about what 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 you're doing and what you're talking about, and. And, and the subject and, and the area that I'm in, I suppose like any area, doesn't necessarily have that impact. So if, if I talk to people, and, and I know you and I have spoken many times in the past, and I'm enthusiastic about it, and I can spread that with you, then, then, then I think I, you know, I've achieved my results. And so, so for me, the great thing is actually seeing that I'm infecting other people with the enthusiasm that I have for what I do. What turns you off professionally? <laughs> now you're asking a difficult question. <laughs> I should know harder. this. For, yeah, I should know this for, 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 for maybe if I go for interviews for job in the future. Um, well, I, I've spoken about silo mentality. So I, I think that that's one of the areas that that upsets me is is people putting their arm around the exercise book saying you know this is a black art I'm not going to share this with other people uh, we need to be more open uh, we need to share things more and that's the only way that we can achieve the common goal which is to 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 better protect the organization for which we will work for how do you unwind Well, I unwind differently today to what I did February, January time. Um, I have a um, 23-year-old son who um, is looking potentially, well, he was looking potentially this year, but looking potentially next year to do the London Marathon. He's done, he's done up to half marathons so far, and I am naturally not a runner. I can do short things like squash but not long distance i'm not designed that way 
and I've been going out at least twice a week now doing a, a 5k run which I you know even that I never thought I'd do with him and it's an opportunity to to unwind and and to have good one-to-one -one with my son so so that I possibly or probably wouldn't have done but for the events that we're in at the moment when we're all in lockdown together and, and I'm a very very appreciative of that. What profession other than your own would you like to try? I don't know when I was younger actually I, I um I wanted to be a car mechanic um I did go to so even though I, I left school as I said at the age of 15 uh, and started in Barclays I did do some evening classes in car mechanic and um you know it's disappointing today because you know cars um are, are very difficult to to maintain you know um as a hobby whereas the, you know in the old days you used to buy a manual um to show you how to take a car apart when you bought the car so um i i i i am very practical by nature whether that be in business or you know at home so i i think something practical uh, and maybe may, maybe um maintaining cars would be or or actually um taking an old car and and redoing it would be nice what activity gives you the most energy? I actually like working. Um, sounds well. I don't know whether it's. I mean, maybe that comes back to the infectious enthusiasm that having having been in around um, business continuity and risk for for well over thirty years now. I am at least as enthusiastic about it as I was the day I started. So. I I um I like to to feel useful. I like to feel that I've achieved something, and I don't. What well, while it's nice to get a pat on the back, um, I, I don't need to as long as you know I can say to myself that that I actually I actually helped that organisation to be better at for example managing a crisis and 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 you know i've tried a bit of retirement and it didn't suit me um i need to um whether it be on a voluntary basis or or uh, or, or not i need to be working because that gives me certain things and and whereas some people might come from home from work and be very tired i actually um have energy coming home from doing something that that has achieved something from a business perspective which actually helps me to achieve more at a personal level as well who is your biggest inspiration well i think it's my family uh, my family as a whole so so my wife um you know i i see her do things that you know again at a at a business and personal level and i don't understand how she can do it um uh, she has an ability to assimilate information whether that be at a inform information security training or whether that be at 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 designing um, brickwork at a house um to a level at which 
I've never seen anyone else be able to achieve. And and so you know to to be able to to take so so as I say, I learn from from life, whereas she will also learn from textbook. Um, but but to be able to to be able to do both is 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 quite something to be able to because um, uh, quite often you know you can you can p potentially be a very good academic but not good in the practical side or vice versa where you have the ability to be able to do both so you can you can take the learning you can teach people and you can do it is something that not, not everybody can do if you had to present a speech right now what one word would be its subject I'm going to say the obvious word, which is resilience, and 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 that's going to sound to everybody that listens well. Yeah, you know, that's just jumping on the bandwagon, but, but I don't think anyone it, can accuse you of that. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it it is. You know, we, we as individuals, we as organisations, survive by being resilient. You know, and resilience isn't simply continuity. It's looking at and adapting and being able to adapt to different things, different scenarios, to competition coming into the market that wasn't there before, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and resilient as individuals in the home, whether it's whether, whether our, our, our children have, have upset us, um, you know, whether, whether we're trying to help them to, to achieve results, whether whether our, our dog has an illness, whether whatever it is, is how we act and react to all those things that affect us both as a personal and a business level. Um, and, and, and to be resilient is to, to succeed, rise above and, and to be happy with it. You are at your best when you're doing what? Solving the impossible. If today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you impart? Well, I don't know whether this is answering the question, but if I, if I were ever to say that I know everything through life, I've actually learned nothing. We are all learning and we all continue to learn. And, 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 and the beauty of life is... is that we can learn and we can learn from everyone. We learn from our bosses. We learn from the people we work with. We learn from the people we work for. And most importantly, we learn from our kids. And the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? Because you cared. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe and for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn.